0: In order to like build something new that's pushing the space forward, like uh, you have to be more creative, and like that's kind of what draws a lot of the top founders um, who like have like interesting ideas to like build on Ethereum.
1: Hi everyone, this is Growing Web Three, a podcast that uncovers the growth stories behind the most successful crypto, DeFi, DAO, NFT, Metaverse, and play-to-earn ecosystems. I'm your host, James R.T., and each week I'll be sitting down with founders and experts on Web3 to pick their brains and learn about their growth stories. We'll discuss strategies and tactics to understand how they've grown Web3's billion dollar protocols and communities. So whether you're in the midst of your own growth story or just getting started, this show is for you. Subscribe and join us each week as we discuss growing Web3. Growing Web3 is brought to you by Hype Partners, the leading community management and marketing agency for Web3 organizations. Hype is a global agency of 120 marketers committed to supercharging Web3 ecosystems. Go to www.hype.partners to learn more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Growing Web3. Today, I'm extremely excited to have Richard Chen from One Confirmation here with us. One Confirmation is a leading VC, which has made early investments into projects such as OpenSea, Coinbase, SuperRare, DYDX, and many more. Richard, great to have you on the show.
0: Thanks for having me on.
1: So, I'd love to chat to you. Um, a little bit about what you were doing before, working at One Confirmation, how you got into crypto space.
0: Yeah, so I got into crypto around 2015. Um, so this was back when I was at school at Stanford. I was uh, doing research in cryptography, and like that's actually how I learned about cryptocurrencies. Um, like found out about Bitcoin and Ethereum for the first time because of uh, cryptography and just felt like the most natural use case. And then uh, later co-founded the Stanford Blockchain Club with a few other folks um and from there just really went uh deep into the rabbit hole awesome and what kind of
1: brought you what made you want to work in web3 what was like was there like a trigger something that really interested you
0: yeah um i think it's just like first of all like the average age in web3 is like probably like mid late 20s um and it's like this new cutting edge technology that like i feel like uh you know millennials, uh just younger people like have a better grasp on. Um and you know, I'm not so much of like an establishment the institution person where where you like slave away at McKinsey for a couple of years, then you go to business school, join a Fortune five hundred company. So I, I want to do like bleeding edge um like technology and crypto uh just happened to be like the most interesting to thing to me and like the most natural fit for my skill sets.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And what
0: do you see as the role of VC firms in the space? Yeah, I'd say there's a big difference between VC firms and traders. And I think in uh, like in the last cycle, uh, people started conflating the two, but like really VC firms are like long-term capital where um, they're willing to be patient and hold through like multiple, like bull bear market cycles. Uh, They're oftentimes like kind of a sounding board uh, for founders, like kind of the first person, the founder calls if like really good news or like really bad news, like happens. Um, so yeah, you just kind of grinding the trenches with founders and like believing in them from day one. Awesome.
1: I think one thing which has made you like super famous, uh, on crypto Twitter, uh, all your June dashboards. I remember seeing a really early, like, this is when I was kind of getting into DeFi, like 2019. I remember seeing a June dashboard you did on like DeFi users, yep. um, which was super cool. I'd love to hear a little bit about like, you know, how you created that, how it kind of helped you get an overview of the ecosystem, if it helped you with any of your investments.
0: Yeah, I think the impetus for that was actually... Uh, do you remember the the bet uh, that Jimmy Song and Joe Lubin made at uh, Consensus 2018? Yeah. That like, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, like basically, uh, Jimmy Song's a Bitcoin maximalist, and he made a bet that like, uh, there won't be like any Ethereum def- like apps, dapps that will have like more than a hundred thousand users in like five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I, I was actually curious to see like how that bet was performing because like my gut sense was like, you know, Swap Compound already had like pretty good product market fit within the small community. And like, that's mm-hmm. uh, what prompted to make that uh, dashboard. And it's like really cool uh, seeing like the really exponential growth over time where, you know, DeFi started really in S- in the SF crypto community back in like 2017, 2018. Like mm-hmm. the, the term DeFi was invented in a, like a Telegram group chat in like, yeah. I think it was like October, 2018. And like shortly thereafter, there was like the very first like DeFi conference or so the conference, that used the term DeFi and that was only like a couple hundred people. And then now, uh, I think according to that dashboard we're like almost 5 million, like unique addresses that have interacted with uh, like a major DeFi protocol.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. I, I remember, was it like the guys from Dharma who set up that? Yeah. Group?
0: Yeah. It's like Dharma, set protocol, um, a lot of the, the SF like DeFi, early DeFi yeah. projects.
1: Yeah. And I remember being at a conference, I think it was actually Stanford blockchain conference in like January or February, 2019, maybe March. Everyone was still arguing about like, oh, it should be called DeFi, it should be called open finance. Yep,
0: exactly. And I was like,
1: what? Like, guys, just chill. Like, things are working. Let's just decide on name and go for it. Mm -hmm. I kind of liked open finance, but I'm I'm glad. I'm glad we went with DeFi. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when you like built out those dashboards, did they kind of did that kind of help you understand like web three data better? And yeah, how did you kind of use that for your your in your day job, I guess.
0: Yeah. Um well at the time this was before the whole like yield farming craze happened. So like a lot of the uh, growth was like very organic. Uh so it was a good way to kind of parse through like crypto Twitter and um kind of see like what's actually being used versus like what's like a really hot narrative that's like being shilled a lot but yeah. um like doesn't have much usage. Like if you look at their KPIs.
1: And what kind of, so the early projects that kind of saw product market fit, I guess it was like, was Uniswap, the lending protocols, um, what kind of other ones were there in DeFi? Yeah,
0: I'd say it's like really just like the core, like building block financial primitives. Uh, it was really like mostly just DeFi. is like, so I mean, MakerDAO was really the first mm-hmm. project. So MakerDAO basically started DeFi. Um, they were the very first project to launch in December, 2017. And then Uniswap launched, uh, November, 2018, I think. Um, and like they very quickly got usage, like it's kind of when AM, when AMMs were invented, uh, it was like a very zero to one moment, uh, that kind of replaced all of the order book DeXs that came before like Ether Delta, um, yeah. and all of those. Um, and then, you know, compound, I think launched 2018, um, and like really, uh, solidified like their dominance in the lending marketplace and like the lending borrowing marketplace
1: awesome and then from there i was following like the other dashboards you built and you started building some kind of data analysis around nfts as well like how like how did that kind of come about was it just a similar interest in the space
0: yeah so i, I think the first uh, i mean other like this obviously OpenSea. uh mm-hmm. a lot of it was just like for portfolio companies is just you know tracking their KPIs and I think what was really striking about NFTs is um like the monthly volume graphs were growing like fifty percent month over month, especially for super rare. Uh but like the y-axis was still like really tiny. So like, yeah, it's fifty percent month over month growth, but they might be doing like one million in like monthly volume. Um but so like that's why like people kind of wrote it off, but uh people also forget like I think as a VC, it's it's hardest to, uh, to internalize like what exponential growth feels like. And if you just kind of project it out, like mathematically, uh, that like explodes like pretty quickly if you're growing like that fast, like month over month. Um, and like, that was, uh, what I saw really on, really early on with the Dune data, especially like the dashboard I made for SuperRare. Um, and like, that's what gave us conviction to make the SuperRare investment in like early to mid 2020, mm-hmm. um, which is like about half a year before like NFTs exploded, before people um, got into NFTs and all of that.
1: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I I remember that pretty well. I remember thinking like, wow, the volumes are pretty low, but there was just this like undercurrent of momentum. And there were like really like so many fanatics on crypto Twitter, like a small amount, but they were like fanatics about NFTs. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it was really interesting to see how quickly that all snowballed. Um, so what kind of metrics, uh, do you look for? Like is volume the key one for NFT projects?
0: Um, so if it's a marketplace, yes. Like volume would be like the most, uh, important KPI. Um, mm-hmm. there's other like, uh, metrics I look at, like, um, kind of like monthly active, like artists and collectors, um, like, you know, number of artworks sold, um, like kind of what's. Uh, like average artwork price, um, like, oh, another interesting metric is like time from like mint to sale uh, okay. and like how that evolves over time. Uh, awesome. Basically, are like artists like selling things quickly or uh, are they like, do the NFTs like sit unsold for like a very long time? Um, those are some metrics I've tracked.
1: Awesome. And how do you think, uh, how do you kind of see the way that NFT projects have evolved. I feel like there's like a, prol- a proliferation right now of mm-hmm. low quality projects. Um, and yeah, I think that's been, that's obviously been driven by like PFPs and how it's been become pretty easy to just launch a PFP project. But I know that one confirmation you're, you're investing in NFTs themselves, right? In, yeah. in addition to the platforms.
0: Yeah. So we raised like a hundred million dollar, um, NFT fund. Uh, a few months ago and like that's uh just to invest in nfts themselves like the jpegs and while our main venture funds like invest in the the equity companies like open c superware like the mm-hmm. platforms themselves um and really is just like we want to get exposure to um like what's going to be culturally significant in like the next five years is mm-hmm. um who's going to be like the next andy warhol of like the web 3 generation um and, you know, you can kind of sug- uh, segment, uh, NFTs into like different verticals, like there's art, uh, like one of one art there's generative arts, there's photography, music, you know, mm-hmm. PFPs, um, and trying to pick like the most blue chip projects in each, uh, vertical, um, and just kind of like index a basket of, uh, what, who are gonna be like the most, uh, like culturally relevant, uh, creators over the next few years.
1: Very cool. And are you using like, you're are you using data to kind of go off these decisions or is it more like around like the culture and the community?
0: Like, uh, It's more kind of like, r- yeah, culture, community. Uh, I like to compare it as like left versus like right brain investing and like NFTs, like if you're buying NFTs directly, it's very like right brain investing where you're kind of like a, you know, Hollywood talent agency and uh, you have to bet on artists uh, really early. And a lot of that's just like feel, culture community how well do they understand um like their audience community marketing like what they're doing that's different that's pushing the space forward um so you know like drifter shoots is like a very good example mm-hmm. um i mean he, he has like kind of all of like the perfect ingredients for like being a like breakout artist like he's a person of color uh he was like wrongly incarcerated um he's like doing like crazy dangerous things uh just to get like Photographs of him like dangling his feet off a skyscraper. Yeah. Um, and it's just like something that's so unique that like no one else could replicate. Um, and like he's also understands community marketing culture extremely well. Um, mm-hmm. And is not the type of person who just wants to do a cash grab and like then just rug his collectors. So he's like repeatedly uh, coming back and finding creative ways to like add value to his uh, to his collectors and his fan base. Um so like that's an example of like a creator who just intimately understands like how to build like a web three native brand through NFTs. And like we want to back creators like him and others. That's awesome.
1: I feel like yeah, I mean I've I've been reading a lot of your recent tweets and generally agreeing with all of them. And like the last couple of years saw like a huge influx of capital into the space. And you know, over the last two years, there's definitely been this feeling that a lot is getting funded that maybe shouldn't, um, or a lot of projects are getting maybe too much funding and people are taking advantage of that. And so I think it's really interesting to kind of think about how some projects are growing organically, like the project you just mentioned sounds like it's very much focused on cultivating like this early community. And then comparing that to like some projects which just have a huge amount of capital and are kind of trying to force growth. So I'd love to kind of mm-hmm. yeah hear about how you see like the difference between Web two and Web three growth, and how in Web three there's still different types of growth. There's like this organic and more forced paid yeah. growth.
0: Yeah, I think Web two growth. Um... Uh, the main difference is like a lot of industries in web two are very uh, operational and like execution heavy. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a very, it's like zero sum game. So a really good example would be like food delivery is <laughs> like VCs are willing. There's like maybe like five major food delivery companies and like VCs are willing to like, like give them massive war chests so that they could be like unprofitable for a long time. But yeah. basically like play a war of attrition game where you just um, like bankrupt your, Um, competitors. uh, And until you have a monopoly, then you can like increase Mm -hmm. prices uh, and then basically make a recoup all that losses. Um, So like, I think that works really well for like operationally intensive businesses, like food delivery, where uh, a lot of it is just um, onboarding as many drivers, users, expanding to new cities. Um, I think web three things are a lot less zero sum. So like those types of like operational intensive, like cash burning growth um, hacks like don't work mm-hmm. in web three. And I've also seen like historically um, like ecosystem funds. So like a lot of where this money is coming from are like ecosystem funds, like say some new L one will raise like a $400 million ecosystem fund and do like throw it at projects to build things like wallets and other infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that's happened like many, many times like over like the last several years with like new L ones um, and like What I've seen is like ecosystem funds just usually end up turning into like an adverse selection for founders where the best founders um, can raise on like any chain they want to build. Like they can build on Ethereum where there's no ecosystem fund and just, you know, raise from the top tier VCs. Um, So like kind of what I've seen is, you know, a founder, like maybe like a tier two, tier three founder will like kind of pitch all the VCs for this project they're building on Ethereum, kind of fail to raise. And six months later, they'll be building on a new like L1, because they got an ecosystem grant uh, from Mm -hmm. them. So that's just like a trend I've seen uh, happen like over and over again in the last few years.
1: And how, so yeah, that's like, obviously that's the layer one, the protocol trying to grow the the application layer because everyone's fighting right now for the application layer, right? They're all fighting for developers. Um, And how do you see that kind of, Moving to the, the user layer because I mean, the majority of users are still still on Ethereum, especially when it comes to NFT projects, um, or the majority of volume at least. How do you kind of see that translating? I guess, do you see, still see the best founders looking at Ethereum and then looking to go multi-chain, or how, how do they approach things?
0: Yeah, I mean, in the past, like, two years, I'd say, like, all the new, like, ideas, new interesting projects and that are like pushing the space forward are like, those founders are still like building on Ethereum and mm-hmm. you know stuff on other chains uh, are like largely, you know, copycats, like, you know, building the Uniswap on this other like L1 or like building you know, an Ave on this other L1. Um, and then there's an argument to be made that like you have to build like, these like kind of fundamental building blocks before you can have like new ideas. Um, but like, I guess that the founders that are drawn to like those other chains that are like building copycats tend to be like more mercenary. Um, And it's a lot harder space to invest in because the ideas are so obvious. So there's going to be like 10 teams that are trying to build like a Dex on Solana or like some other Mm -hmm. chain. Um, And so like, because all of this, uh, the primitives are already built out in like Ethereum uh, ecosystem, like in order to like build something new, that's pushing the space forward. Like uh, you have to be more creative and like, that's, kind of what draws a lot of the top founders, um, who like have like interesting ideas to like build on Ethereum.
1: That's cool. I like that. I like the way of looking at things. Yeah. I think Ethereum is still, it's like the most competitive and that's, yeah, as you said, it's the best way to kind of find founders who are looking to be super creative and really like innovate. I think we saw like, we've seen like quite a lot of innovation recently. I think it seemed like there was a quiet period. But I think projects like Curve and um, a few others have really pushed DeFi forward now and there's lots of interesting stuff happening again. Right, right. So what projects do you feel are kind of doing uh, growth, right? And like taking the correct organic approach to growth?
0: Um, I say nouns is a good example, nounsDAO. Yeah. Um, there's a very like a PFP um like collection that like we've invested in. And, um, and this is also kind of reference to like one of my earlier tweets from a few weeks ago, as I was like comparing loot and nouns mm-hmm. and like, they were both like launched around the same time. Maybe nouns was like about a month earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like loot was like super like overhyped on Twitter. Um, people were talking about like how this is going to be like the building blocks for like the next like web three, like blockbuster game. Uh, but ultimately like the people who were like buying loot were more interested in like speculating on price of the NFT rather than actually like staying and like building for the community. And whereas like the nouns, um, community, it was, it was a lot more organic because like the people who bought nouns, uh, were less interested in just like pure price speculation, but, um, like bought into the idea that, um, this is like a great, um, Merge between like a PFP collection and an investment DAO, and sure. like are like want and like had a bunch of creative ideas of like how can we grow the nouns IP through like all the ETH that's accumulated in this uh, in this treasury. Um, so they were nouns was, like a lot more um, thoughtful in their growth of like how do we build this brand, um, doing partnerships like with you know Budweiser, like having the nouns glasses, uh, stuff like that, and. Um I actually think nouns in like a lot of like NFT projects should like actually hire someone who has experience with like um growth marketing from like web 2. is mm-hmm. like kind of you uh, I think a big question is uh like how do you measure customer lifetime value in like the web 3 world? And like you can measure customer acquisition costs like how much do you spend on advertising on like a Super Bowl commercial but like how much value does it actually bring for the community long term in terms of like more brand IP awareness. Um, Yeah. I I think it's just a matter of time before like one of these NFT projects will be like the um, like leading brand uh, in like, that's like kind of part in mainstream culture, like kind of how we see like Louis Vuitton, Gucci and these brands um, that were like started like decades, maybe like century ago Mm -hmm. um, that are just like, so like permeated in culture today. And, I think we're in like the very early innings of that with like web three NFT projects and it's just kind of a question of how can we, uh, get, how can we be like smart in terms of like growth and building this brand?
1: Absolutely. I think that the kind of really interesting thing there is that nouns, as you said, it started organically and the amount of work that the nouns community put in before. You know, it became so popular as it is now. I mean, it's still fairly niche, but mm-hmm. it's still got a very high amount of interest, um, especially in like the daily auctions. The that nouns NFTs are still selling for, you no, know, probably near to a hundred k dollars every yep. day, which is amazing. Um, is that yeah? Maybe it was better that they didn't get the hype that Loot got, because Loot obviously got completely. Yeah, it went crazy. It meant it got a lot of like people that probably you know they were just speculating. They're mercenary in the community, and that probably damaged them for you know in the long term because they didn't have this core base of contributors who are just there for the mission.
0: Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, and I, yeah, this also um, reminds me of another point. Is uh, I noticed like it's kind of counterintuitive, but like the founders uh, that raise a lot of VC money uh, beforehand are actually more likely to fizzle out, uh, than, uh, the founders who kind of, um, raise like a smaller amount to find product market fit before they raise their big round. Yeah. Um, and you know, it sounds counterintuitive, but like it's what we've seen historically in our portfolio, as well as like other projects in the crypto space. And I think a large reason is if you raise a lot of money upfront, uh, you get a lot of awareness, but then there's a lot of pressure with like expectations, um, it's harder to be nimble uh, and kind of, you know, pivot uh, wh- while you're still like finding product market fit. Oftentimes having, having a lot of money means like founders want to hire really quickly, but that becomes tricky when you have to pivot uh, because suddenly like say like half of your team is like their skills are no longer like relevant anymore. So maybe you have to do layoffs. Like these are all like tricky internal um, conflict and like decisions that like founders have to make. Um, and, like, in the, like, and it's a lot of is like, a result of just expectation, awareness, like, being more sloppy with hiring and spending uh, if you raise, like, too much, like, out of the bat.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. And, yeah, completely counterintuitive because the Web 2 way is raise the most money as quickly as possible and deploy the most resources and crush the competition.
0: Yeah. And uh, yeah.
1: in Web 3, yeah, the small and nimble teams are consistently doing extremely well.
0: Yes. Like Uniswap was like fewer than 10 people for like a very long time. Now Uniswap Labs is like uh, like 140 or something. Um but it, it's crazy seeing like how these small nimble teams like just execute like really well. Like
1: mm-hmm. OpenSea
0: was also like sub 10 people for a very long time uh before things exploded and they grew from like 10 to like 200 uh in like I say like half a year. Um wow. so Uh, yeah, it's, it's just interesting seeing like these smaller nimble teams is out execute.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So a couple quick fire questions to finish off, uh, the show. So if you were getting started today and you, uh, like, where do you think the biggest opportunities are for founders coming into the space? NFTs, DAO, DAOs, DeFi?
0: Um. Yeah, I guess, um, I know we, we've been talking a lot about Ethereum, uh, but I do think like Cosmos ecosystem is still like mm-hmm. relatively under the radar. Um, and the interesting thing about Cosmos is like, like their community is like very organic um, and like, the which is why, and the growth is like largely organic and I think the reason why it's under the radar is because like, they don't cosmos doesn't have a strong man leader, um, Mm -hmm. that can like, you know, really shill the project and like, you know, be very like abrasive and like active on like crypto Twitter and like kind of build a cult, like following around it. So the founders that are building in cosmos, um, like tend to be more, uh, missionary and like, believe in Mm -hmm. like the open source grassroots ethos of the community. So I, I think there's, there's still a lot of, um, like green space in the cosmos ecosystem, um, like, you know, IBC and like the potential of, you know, cross chain apps is still like very nascent. Um, uh, so there's a lot to be built there.
1: Very cool. Very cool. And, um, final question, if you could be CMO or head of growth for any project in the space, you kind of, let's say you get unlimited budget to do whatever crazy stuff you want to do, which one would you choose?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I guess nouns, like you know, kind of going back to like what I say with like, nouns, like that would be mm-hmm. a good one because um, it's like kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity just to be like, um, go. It's like it's, it's like traveling back in time to like the early nineteen hundreds uh, where like Ralph Lauren was like just getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these like major like luxury brands were like just getting started. Uh, and just kind of going through first principles again and seeing, like, how do we... How do you build this brand, like, organically over time, over, like, many, many decades, such that it just becomes um, kind of second nature and, like, part of our culture that uh, you don't question, like, Rolex or, like, Gucci or Ralph Lauren or any of these, like, brands as, like, kind of the blue chips um, in, like, fashion and retail. Um, And I I think a lot of these, uh, like like punks, nouns, um, that that's like the upside for them. And if they can execute really well on like growth marketing, mm-hmm. um, they could be that in like five, 10 years.
1: I love that. I'm a huge fan of the nouns community. And I, I really believe that, yeah, the way that their community is structured, all the incense. I feel like it's one of the first times I've seen like an NFT community be like so aligned around like this common goal, which is just like proliferate the nouns mean, um, which is really amazing to see. So yeah, I would, I, I think that's a great choice. Um, thank you so, so much for coming on. It's been awesome to pick your brain on all these topics and where can people follow you and stay up to date with you in One Confirmation?
0: Yeah, I'm uh, Richard Chen 39 on Twitter. Uh, his emails is uh, Richard at oneconfirmation.com and um, yeah. Feel free to follow me or uh, send me a DM or email.
1: Awesome! Thanks so much, Richard. Great, thank you. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Growing Web Three. You can see the show notes and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at Hype forward slash Podcast. Thank you for listening again, and be sure to hit subscribe to listen to new episodes first. Growing Web3 is brought to you by Hype Partners, the leading community management and marketing agency for Web3 organizations. Hype is a global agency of 120 marketers committed to supercharging Web3 ecosystems. Go to www.hype.partners to learn more.